Welcome to GlendaleCC.org, and thanks for joining us for part four of our sermon series on the book of Daniel. Throughout this sermon series, we are asking the question of how to remain faithful in a faithless world. This week, Senior Minister Jeff Gaines walks us through Daniel chapter four. I am glad to see each and every one of you, and as we get started today, I want to just welcome everybody, no matter if this is your first time here or if you've been here a thousand and one times, you are totally welcome here, and this is a safe place for you to be you and learn what it means to love and follow Jesus. We're in Daniel chapter 4 today, if you want to follow along in your Bible, and I hope you brought your Bible today. If you don't normally do that, I would encourage you to get in the habit of just bringing your Bible, because I spend a lot of time in there, usually when I preach, and that's a good thing, so you, you may want to bring your Bible. The words will be on the screen, too. So Daniel chapter 4, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, the first two words say this, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. I've got to remind some of you because you haven't been able to be here for all the sermons. So just so you know, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and in effect, he's the king of the world. He's the most powerful man on the planet, not even close. And this is a guy that everything he's ever tried to do, he succeeded at. Do you know any people like that? Don't they just drive you nuts? Those are the type of people you don't go back to your class reunion because of those people. Because you go to your class reunion, you're like, hey, what are you doing? And then they list like this amazing resume. I speak like 18 languages and I've made $3 billion, you know. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. He could not, and I'm, this isn't an overstatement. There is nothing left for him to do professionally. He has accomplished everything he could possibly accomplish. Most successful guy who has lived up to this point in history. King Nebuchadnezzar, second part of verse 1, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth. So, this is what we're learning. This is a letter. He's King Nebuchadnezzar, the most successful man on the planet, is writing a letter. And who's he writing this letter to? All who live on the earth, right? So, this is a letter for everyone. Turn to the person next to you and say, this is for you. Go ahead and tell them. I'm giving you permission to talk in church. Tell your second choice. Turn to your second choice and say, this is for you too. Sorry, I didn't pick you first. Go ahead. This is for you. Okay, so what's the letter about, King Nebuchadnezzar? Here we go. May you prosper greatly. From King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people of the earth. And here's the point of my letter. I want you to prosper greatly. Greatly. So, just to synthesize this, the most successful man who has ever lived up to this point in history is writing a letter to every person on the earth, and he is giving us the secret to living a successful life. Anybody interested in this? Anybody? I mean, I think this is kind of interesting. The most successful man is going to give us the secret to success. So, what is it? Verse 2 It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. He says, if I'm going to tell you how to be successful, i got to start with what God has done for me. Oh, well, that's great, Nebuchadnezzar. That's great. I'm sure your story is amazing, but I'd, I'd really rather hear about your leadership principles. Tell me about your organizational structures. Tell me about your business strategies, because that's what's made you prosperous, right? Don't tell me, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar pauses us. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not about what I have done. It's about what God has done for me. Look at this, verse 3. How great are his sons, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. The king of the world, the most powerful man on the planet, the most successful person to live up to this point in history says, 
It's not about me. It's all about him. This is a humble guy, isn't it? How do you get so humble? Well, what we're going to learn today, we're going to see this eight-year journey that King Nebuchadnezzar went on. And, and, and it was a journey that began with him being a very proud king. And this is what we're going to see. There were a couple conditions that existed in Nebuchadnezzar's life that made him very cocky, made him very arrogant. And these are things that we struggle with too. These are conditions that all of us can face. But he went from this arrogant guy to this humble servant of God because God humbled him. And hopefully what we're going to do is we're going to learn how all of us, we can step out of arrogance, we can guard ourselves against arrogance in our life, and we can stay humble. Now, before we jump into the story, I want to put this in the context of the conversation we've been having. Because in this sermon series, we're trying to answer a tough question. You guys remember the question? How do we remain what? Faithful. Three of you have been listening. Thank you. Appreciate that. How do you remain faithful in a seemingly faithless world? Now, C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite authors, he, w- he suggested long ago that At the heart of every fall, at the heart of every faithless moment, at the heart of every sin is pride. He said the root cause of every single sin is pride. At the heart of every sin is is us saying to God, being so arrogant in ourselves, saying, God, my way is better than your way. I'm going to do things my way. And in that moment, we put faith in ourselves instead of having faith in God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 puts it this way pride precedes destruction an arrogant spirit appears before a fall I don't know about you but I can look back at every faithless moment in my life every time that I had a destructive moment every time I had a fall in my life and what immediately preceded that was a spirit of arrogance and pride in me it was me saying God, I know better than you in this. I'm going to do things my way. And that statement was the, the statement right before the fall. So this is what we're going to try and do today. We're going to see where pride sprouts most frequently, where it grows. And when, it, when it's full grown, it leads to destruction. This is what we're learning. But if we're going to stay faithful, we got to develop, we got to guard our humble heart. So as we begin... I ask you just to close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, okay? And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Ready? Repeat this after me. Just say, Lord, give me today a humble heart. Amen. Daniel chapter 4, verse 5. This is the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace contented, and prosperous this is the first statement in his testimony of transformation i'm going from a prideful king to a humble servant of god how did i get there one of the things that we're going to see is that there were some conditions that existed in nebuchadnezzar's life that made him very arrogant and the first one is content nebuchadnezzar was very content and, and there's a reason he was content he had accomplished everything he set out to accomplish. He was the most successful man who had lived up to this point in history. He had everything. This is the type of guy that you can't, there's nothing you can buy for him for his birthday. You know people like this? Because they have everything. That's him. He lacked for nothing. He built the most powerful empire in the world. He's living in the most beautiful palace. Now, there's a danger when you're this contented in your life. 
when you're this circumstantially worldly contented because when you have no need many times you have no need for God let me say that again when you have no needs many times you have no need for God haven't you seen this play out in your life haven't you because when there's no problems there's no prayer my finances are good, my, my health is good, my kids are good, my job's going good, my house is good, everything's good. So in those moments, don't we, don't we kind of kind of slip up when it comes to prayer? We, we kind of take a step back when it comes to opening the Bible. We, we take a step back, it's easy to start missing church consecutively because when you have no needs, many times you don't have a need for God. It's easy to forget about God when you're living in the penthouse, isn't it? When you've got the corner office on the top floor and you can kind of overlook this kingdom that you've conquered, it's easy to forget about God in that moment until the building begins to shake. And then it's like, oh, God, please help me. When the building begins to shake, when the penthouse begins to shake, then you're reminded of God. And sometimes that's what we need. Do you know the most attended Sunday in church history in the United States? It was the Sunday immediately following September 11th. Why? Well, all of us in America, we've gone so content, so contented, right? We, we've, we've climbed this mountain of contentment. We have no practical needs. Finances are good. Peace in, in this time. And then two buildings fly into two iconic towers. And then all of a sudden, the mountain begins to shake, the mountain of contentment. And we fall down into the valley. And it's when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, what do you do then? You cry out to God. Isn't that how it works? Many times people have to hit rock bottom before they look to heaven. Contented. It's a dangerous place. Because in that moment of contentment, pride can easily grow. That was one condition Nebuchadnezzar had. He was content. The other thing we see is he was very, very confident. Daniel chapter 4, verse 22. Your majesty, you are that tree. Can't you just hear people always talking to him in this way? the most powerful man on the planet. You're so awesome, Nebuchadnezzar. You've become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. The people in my experience that I have found that have the hardest time following Jesus, they have the hardest time submitting their life to Jesus, are ultra-confident people. People that are super smart and super successful, they have a hard time bowing down to Jesus and and it makes sense from a practical perspective because they look at the universe and they can explain the whole universe without God they'll tell you all the physics and all the chemistry and uh, just explain the whole cosmos they don't need God to do that and many times they've never faced a challenge in their life that they weren't smart enough they weren't talented enough to overcome they've never been at that rock bottom moment And, and and when there's no practical need for a savior when in every way you can practically save yourself. You don't need a savior when in every practical way you can save yourself. So Nebuchadnezzar had grown so self-confident. He had annihilated every enemy. There wasn't a world power that stood against him at this point. There's peace all throughout his empire. And one of the things that he did that was so successful is he went in, he conquered these nations, and then he successfully assimilated all these people living in these nations into his empire. And, And they all served him. And then on top of that, he's building the most amazing buildings during this time in history. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world is something that Nebuchadnezzar designed, and he was the project manager of. This guy was so 
successful, so talented. And his confidence led him to say this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I have built by my mighty power for my majesty. Here's the question. Where is God in all this? He's not there, is he? You see, self-sufficient is the enemy of God-dependent. And many times you get so confident in your own abilities and you forget how much you need God. Confidence is a great fertilizer for pride to grow. Now, what's fertilizer made of? You don't have to answer that. Just keep this thought in mind because we're going to come back to it. So you get content, you get confident, you get content and confident, and, and many times what happens is you become cocky. And, and cocky people can easily become really cold-hearted towards God. Let's see how this plays out for Nebuchadnezzar. In the midst of his cockiness, he gets these warning signs in the form of a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar often had dreams that would keep him up at night. This particular dream was about this tree. Uh, and, and this tree just grew and grew and grew. It was ginormous and all sorts of prosperous ha- things are happening in the midst of this tree. And this angel comes down from heaven and it chops the tree down at the stump. And then the angel starts speaking to the stump as if it's a man. And he says to this man slash stump, for the next seven years, you're going to live like you're an animal. You're going to eat grass and do all sorts of weird stuff. And that's going to happen until you recognize that God is most high. Until you acknowledge God as sovereign over all the earth. And so he's having a hard time with this dream. And he calls Daniel in. And you'll remember Daniel's already interpreted one dream for him. Because Daniel's a pro at this. And he calls Daniel in. He says, Daniel, explain this dream to me. And so in, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, Daniel says... To the king, you will be driven away from your people and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with dew of heaven. Seven times will pass you by. And what that means is seven years will go by. Seven years will go by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. You think you took this kingdom, but God actually gave it to you. And he says the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. King, listen to me. God will forgive you. That's why he's leaving the stump there. But, but you gotta, you got to repent of all this stuff. you got to turn away from this cocky attitude that you've got. Verse 27, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Daniel says, repent and be restored. He says to the king, humble yourself or you will be humbled. Now you would think that the king would listen to Daniel, right? Because Daniel, he's an expert in interpreting dreams. He's already interpreted one dream of the king very successfully. And then Daniel is the buddy of these guys. You remember the three guys, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he threw uh, three boys into a fiery furnace, and then there's a fourth guy in the furnace, and Daniel serves that same God, and he's friends with these same. So you would think Daniel's kind of got, he's got the inside track on this information. Maybe he knows what he's talking about, but there's a problem. King Nebuchadnezzar is still sitting on the throne, and, and he can go out on top of his palace, and he can look over all his kingdom and all the things that he's built, and everything is still good. He's still content, and he's still confident. So why change anything? Why change anything? Verse 29, 12 months later. 
The guy's had a whole year to humble himself. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Twelve months later. Just humble yourself, king. Humble yourself. But here's the problem. It's hard to see the warning signs when you're content and you're confident. It's hard to see the warning signs. It's hard to hear God saying, you need to make a change when you're content. And you're, that's why some of you are sitting here today, and this is what you're thinking. Man, I wish so-and-so was here. They really need to hear this. I'm telling you, because they're the most arrogant person that I know. Or maybe you're looking up like three rows in front of you, and you're thinking, I hope that person's awake, because they really need to hear. And the message is for everybody else. Why? Because you're content and you're confident. Your kingdom still stands. And when your kingdom still stands, it's hard to see that you need to make some changes. That's why in verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar says this. He's on the roof of his royal palace 12 months later. He's had all the warning signs. And he says this, Is not this the great Babylon I have built in the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? cold-hearted towards God. He refused to repent. He refused to make a change. Because when we're content, when we're confident, we're less receptive to the Word of God. I don't need God right now. My kingdom's strong. My throne is established. I'm, I'm good. When we're content and we're confident, we're less willing to admit, I need to make a change. Why do I need to make a change? Everything's good. Verse 31 even as the words were on his lips. Even as the words were on his lips. Even as the words were on his lips. A voice came from heaven. And this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Now, this was about year 30 of King Nebuchadnezzar's 45-year reign. It taken him 30 years to conquer all these other nations. It taken him 30 years to establish peace, assimilate all these other nations into his empire. Taking him 30 years to build up all this wealth, to build all these buildings, set up these fortresses, build these castles. Taking him 30 years. Even as the words were on his lips. What had taken him 30 years to build, it took God 30 seconds to take away from him. What had taken him 30 years to build, it took God 30 seconds to destroy. Listen to me. Listen to me, some of you, you look around and you're so cocky in what you have accomplished in this life. And you look around and you've built this beautiful castle. You, you're the king sitting on your throne. You're the queen sitting on your throne and you're so cocky in that. And you look around and you say, look at all I've done. But here's the problem with us being cocky in these things. We think we've built a castle, but it's not a real castle, it's a sand castle. What happens to sand castles? They fall down. They're not built to last, are they? What's taking you a lifetime to build? God could take away in an instant. Don't, don't be cocky in these things. That's crazy to do that. So his royal authority was taken away. He's driven out into the, the pasture, and he starts acting like an animal. And this goes on for seven years. He's eating grass and doing all sorts of weird stuff. Three, three verses um, later, verse 34. At the end of that time, seven years later, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. Raised my eyes towards heaven. Raised my eyes towards heaven. 
and my sanity was restored. I was talking to a lady yesterday, and um, her grandmother had just passed away, her dad's mother. And so they're at the funeral uh, yesterday. And um, she said, her dad is the only non-Christian in their whole family. Everybody else in her family desperately loves Jesus, except the dad. And the dad just has nothing to do with it. And she said yesterday to, to me with tears in my eyes, I was like, have you talked to him about it? Do you guys talk about this? And she says, yes. And this is what he says every time. He says, my chance has passed by. In other words, he, he's saying this, I've done so much for so long to disobey and disrespect God, there's no way he could ever forgive me. There's no way I could repay all the wrongs that I've done. I want you to think about this. What took Nebuchadnezzar a lifetime to destroy? He, he, he destroyed his soul over a lifetime. Crazy, heathen, cocky, prideful, arrogant, apart from God living. What took him a lifetime to destroy? I raised my eyes to heaven. I raised my eyes to heaven. I raised my eyes to heaven. And what happened? My sanity was restored. What took him a lifetime to destroy, God restored it in an instant. You're here today, some of you, and you look back over your life and you just think, I've messed up so much. There's no way. There's no way God could forgive me. My time has passed me by. Hear me today. God is ready to forgive you. And it doesn't take much. It's just an instant. If you just raise your eyes to him. You stop looking at this kingdom that you've built. And you start looking towards Jesus. In an instant, he was restored. His sanity, he said, my sanity was returned. And when, when he was finally sane again, this is what he did. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. You see, it's crazy. It's crazy to live a, part, a life apart from God. That's crazy. It's crazy to think that you can go through this life without God blessing you. That's crazy to think. We need God. So this is my encouragement for you today as we're wrapping up. Don't be crazy. Instead, humble yourself before God. James chapter 4, verse 10. This is one of my favorite verses. It says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. He's going to lift you up. So how do we humble ourselves? I'm going to give you two really practical things you can do. And it's all inwardly, okay? you got to do this for yourself, inside. Number one, remind yourself daily, it is by God's grace. Say, by God's grace. Say that. It is by God's grace. Look at um, Nebuchadnezzar's tone after he turns his eyes to heaven. Verse 34, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. I want to pause there for a second. Do you ever sometimes think, if I was in control, like if I had God's authority, everything would be good. You ever think that? Like, you know, I believe if I was God, I could fix all this. And so there's part of you that just kind of wants to knock God off his throne. And there's been people that tried. You know that, right? Like, Throughout biblical history, you can, you can follow Adam and Eve. They, they kind of wanted to be like God. That's why they ate the forbidden fruit. You remember that? And then there's this tower. You remember this tower in the Old Testament? It's called the Tower of Babel. 
kind of the predecessors of uh, the Babylonian culture, and, and they tried to build this tower. And what were they going to do once they built that tower all the way to the top? They're going to try and knock God off his throne because they thought, you know, I think we got a better handle on this. I think God's in over his head a little bit. So maybe there's part of you that you just want to, like, throw God off his throne, and you've, you've attempted to do it in several ways. Maybe you thought, I'm going to be so disobedient and so angry towards God. I'm going to, I'm going to kill him with a broken heart. He's going to die with a broken heart because I'm just going to treat him so bad. I'm going to ignore him so much. Does any of that work? Is anybody ever going to knock God off his throne? Let's, let's think about it. You're going to build a spaceship and then just shoot off into outer space and like, God, I'm going to track you down, brother. When I do. Isn't that crazy to think that? He is in control, whether you like it or not. He is in control, whether you like it or not. Let's keep reading here. Verse 35. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done, God? Nobody can challenge God. Our ability, our power in comparison to God is nothing. God will do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And here, whether you like it or not, is the truth. There is nothing you can do about it. You don't believe me. Okay, I'll challenge you. This is a dare. I dare you right now to will yourself to grow five inches. Do it. Now, I've been trying for like 20 years because I stopped growing that long ago, and I cannot dunk a basketball. But if I was five inches taller, I could. So I've been trying. It's not working. Anybody want to try that? I'll, I'll give you another challenge. Maybe that one's too hard. This one's easier. Will yourself right now to be born a Canadian so you don't have to vote this year. Go ahead. <laughs> do it. Anybody? Can't do it, can we? Why? We're so limited. Listen to me. You've you got to believe, you got to hold on to this. This needs to be one of the truths you build your life on. Everything that you do and everything that you have, it is only by the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God. Some of you, you're here today and, and you feel like you're so smart and you're so successful and you don't need any of this God stuff because you can figure it out on your own. But this is what you need to be reminded of today. God allowed you to be born in this country. And he put you in that family that made you, like, study and, and, and go to school when you wanted to drop out when you were, like, sixth grade, you know. And, and he gave you that intellect. I mean, you think that you've, like, but really God gave you the IQ that you were born with. He gave you the ability to grasp the concepts that you grasp. You know, you could have been born in Greene County. And then you might not even be able to tie your shoes. That's a joke. If anybody's from Greene County, Erica told me to say that. <laughs> Listen, by God's grace, you live today. You woke up today by God's grace. You walked into this church building by God's grace. You're able to sit upright in that pew by God's grace. When you leave here and you go and shake people's hands and you put together like coherent sentences, let me tell you something. It's only by God's grace that you're able to do that. You go tomorrow and you make a living only by God's grace. My beautiful wife, by God's grace. My beautiful daughters, by God's grace. My life, 
by God's grace. There is nothing that I do. There is nothing that I have. There is nothing I can accomplish except by God's grace. You need to remind yourself of that every single day. Every day. Here's the other thing. You need to be reminded of this. It's by his grace and it's for his glory. It's for his glory. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar says. Verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored. He says, once I came to my senses, once I stopped acting like an idiot, my honor and splendor were returned to me. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than I was before. How can that even be? You were already the most successful person that ever lived up to this point in history. And he looks over his kingdom again. He says, now that I am on top of the world again, I got my palace back, I got my throne back, everybody's listening to everything that I said. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify me. Is that what he says? He says, once I got my senses back, once I really stopped acting like an animal, a crazy person out in the wilderness, once I, I, I figured out what this whole life's about, then I praised and I exalted and I glorified the king, not of Babylon, the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Verse 37. Oh, I just read that. So here's the thing. When things go well in your life, who gets the credit? Like when you, when you get a promotion or you get a good grade, or you win the prize. Who gets the credit? When pride reigns in your heart, you get the credit. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. Everybody knows it. That's why I walk around so tough. Everybody knows how awesome I am. Who gets the credit? I get the credit. But when God reigns in your life, when you've humbled yourself, you know who gets the credit? God gets the credit. And people say, good job. And this is what you'll say. Thank you. But praise God. When people say, you're so smart. You say, well, thanks. But praise God. Because here's the truth. Everything we do, it doesn't point to our goodness. We're created beings. It points to God's goodness. It's all for his glory. That's why the other day I was watching Olympics. Anybody watching Olympics? I saw I caught the end of a rugby match. I don't know anything about rugby, but it was kind of cool. Uh, and it was, it, it was actually the gold medal match, I, and I was confused when I first started watching it because the score was 50 to nothing, and this was the gold medal match. It was Fiji versus Great Britain. And the, the, I watched the last six minutes, and literally it looked like there were a bunch of grown men, monsters. You ever seen Space Jam? Anybody? I'm going all over the place today. I mean, just look like massive dudes, and they're going up against boys. I mean, it's like total humiliation. Now, when you think about, like, professional athletes at this level, don't you just kind of, like, just expect they're going to be super cocky? Don't you? I mean, because that just kind of goes with the territory. When you're, like, that awesome, it's kind of hard not to be, right? So the buzzer sounds, they've won, totally humiliated, the second best team in the world, supposedly, like 50 to nothing just destroyed them and so what do you expect would be their reaction like they would find a table to jump up on and be like yeah look at me do a touchdown dance you know but they none of them did that 
I was blown away. As soon as the buzzer sounded, all of them dropped to their knees and pointed to the sky. All of them. One of them like, was doing the Tebow thing. Let's see if I can. <laughs> he did that. And then the last six minutes of the game, they kept bringing the camera back to this one guy. And he was on the bench, and he was just weeping. He was crying. He had his head bowed. And all you could see, him mouthing some words. And he come to find out, the whole last six minutes, because they already knew they were going to win because they're that good, he's just praising God. How, how do people get to that place where they're humble, even though things are going so well? The commentator said that every day before they did anything, they would pray. So they'd go to the weight room. Before they started lifting as a team, they would pray. And, and, and their prayers would go something like this. Not for us, but for you. Not for us, not my glory, but your glory. And then they'd go to their team meal. And they wouldn't just like start eating. They would get together as a team. They would pray. Before every practice, they would pray. Before every game as a team, they'd come together and pray. See, they'd already trained themselves to not get too high and mighty on what they could accomplish, but to always deflect everything to the glory of God. Because ultimately, everything we do, it points back to Him. I want to encourage you today. Deflect that praise, right? When things go well, praise God. Thank you. It's only, it's only by his grace. It's only by his grace. So we're going we're gonna to pray. And as we do, I want to close with this verse. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 6 says this. God opposes the proud. Some of you, you're here today, and you're just, you're, you don't want to believe this about yourself, but you're kind of arrogant. And many times you go like days, maybe weeks, maybe months, and you don't even think about God. And that works for you because your kingdom's good. Your throne is good. Your kingdom's good. Your, your castle's good. You're content and you're confident, and whatever comes your way, you can handle it. Understand today, God will humble you unless you humble yourself. Here's the other side of that verse. But God favors the humble. And, and here's the advice. Submit yourself before God. What part of your life have you not submitted to God? What part of your life, is it your business life? And you're like, God, listen, you can have everything else, but I know what's best when it comes to my business. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that. Is it your personal life? God, I mean, all this like Jesus stuff, it works everywhere else, but, but I got to find a husband. I got to find a wife, and, and I'm not going to find him doing things your way. So you, you hold on to that. I got, I got to do things my way. When it comes to your sport, you're like, well, you know, I can't really be Jesus center. I can't be like Tebow. I got I to gotta be like, you know, cocky. God has a better way. And if you humble yourself before him, he will favor you. You'll be lifted up. That's my prayer for you today. Submit yourself to God. Let's pray. Father, we, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And as we do, Lord, I pray that you will just give us all humble hearts. Because it's only by your grace. And it's all for your glory. So help us just to walk in line with that. If there's a person in this room that needs to make a decision for you, needs to humble themselves in front of this congregation, Lord, I pray that you will give them the courage and the confidence to do that in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.